Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. If, if I were to say there's something that I have said nearly every Sunday for the last, oh, I don't know, six months, um, anybody, if I were to ask you uh, every Sunday, I've said, we're here today to, how, to, how might you respond if I ask, why are we here today then? To know God and make him known. And this is, once again, not just a trite saying. It's not just a, a t-shirt logo slogan. And in fact, I don't know that I've ever had it put on a t-shirt. Someone remind me, we need t-shirts. Um, but, but instead, we, we are here on mission to know God and to make him known in all that we are. And we've been looking at how to do that by understanding the, the, the biblical guidelines for how to be a Christian. And we've answered that question. What is a Christian? And a Christian is a disciple who has submitted their whole life to Jesus. They are a learner. They are someone who has submitted to their life in every area to Jesus Christ because he is Lord. You know, it, it's interesting. We don't make him the Lord of our life. Instead, we understand and we recognize his lordship in all things and submit every aspect of our life to him because he is the Lord. He is king. We're supposed to be pursuing lives of purity, taking steps to separate ourselves from sin, to make choices to no longer participate in those things that we used to participate. That, that we are supposed to have a regular devotional time developing our prayer life, not because we have to, but because Jesus gave us this example of daily teaching and taking in his word and praying on a regular basis in solitude to the Father. And so we follow in the footsteps of our master, our Lord, and have a, a regular devotional time in prayer life. We, we want to learn and apply the word of God as the primary and really final authority in our life. And last week we said we, we really want to have a heart for evangelism. We want to be evangelizers, people who know our own testimonies and can share them. And did anybody get a chance to work on your testimony this week? But before Jesus, how I met Jesus, and my life after Jesus? I got one person and, a, and, a, and a, there's two or so. Look, I, I guarantee you, if you... First of all, kind of rehash your history and can share it in two minutes with someone. It'll give you two, two things that are, are good for you. Number one, you'll be able to share the gospel in your testimony. And number two, you'll have that testimony and it will remind you of the things that God has done in your life. And it's a, it's a regular celebration as you even recount your testimony to yourself. And celebrate what God has done in your life. So you want to have a heart for reaching out to, to others and sharing the good news. Sharing your testimony clearly and presenting the, the gospel regularly with increasing skill. Two tools, the wristbands and the cards up here for presenting the gospel if you still need some help on that. And this week, we're going to look at, at this next, next aspect of how to be a Christian. A Christian attends church regularly to worship God, have his spiritual needs met, and to make a contribution to the body of believers. That we as Christians, we are called to be not just individuals who are saved, but we are individuals who are called together into community as we are saved. 
We, we must understand all of these things prior to this have really focused on us as individuals. But the Bible does not leave us alone in our prayer closet. It calls us to gather together as the people of God. And the example set for us by the early believers and scripture is to do this on a regular basis. Not one that is, is uh, given to flippancy or the, the weather, but instead a, a regular attendance of gathering together in order to worship God, to have our spiritual needs met, and to make a contribution to the body of believers. So we're going to look at scripture. We're not just going to make this statement and say, all right, so everybody should be here every Sunday and every Thursday and every time the doors are open. But what we're going to do is we want to look together and see in God's word one place at least where we get this clear teaching that we are to be gathering together regularly and the benefits of it for us. So Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 through 25. If you have your Bibles, encourage you to open them up. Hebrews isn't a book a lot of us go to. On a regular basis, we maybe know a, a couple of verses from it or we're familiar with them. Uh, the, the word of God is, is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Anybody got that one in your head kind of there in the background? Do you know where it is? It's in Hebrews. Uh, we have a high priest uh, that, that uh, knows that or is like us and, and, and uh, has experienced life like us. That's in Hebrews. We, we got some great verses uh, uh, the, that uh, the shedding of blood is required for the forgiveness of sin. Hebrews. And, and Hebrews is this beautiful letter written by someone. We're not even sure who wrote Hebrews. There are some, some theories out there. For those of you who are Bible nerds, some, some people think it was Paul, though it doesn't look quite like other writings of Paul. Other people think it was maybe Apollos uh, or even Barnabas. Uh, so any number of folks, we're, we're not exactly sure who wrote Hebrews, but it, it has been received as scripture from the very earliest of church history. And Hebrews, from its beginning to its end, makes this, 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 this progression. It moves through and, and tries to, to help us to understand Jesus through the lens of Old Testament law and sacrifice. And so the reason it's called Hebrews is because it really has a Jewish or Hebrew perspective all throughout. And it talks about Jesus as, as a sacrifice. It talks about him as the son. It talks about him as a high priest. And it gives us a picture of Jesus telling us he is better than any sacrifice you could find in the Old Testament. He's better than any priest that has ever lived. He is, in fact, the very son of God who has come to fulfill this role of prophet and priest and king and sacrifice on our behalf. And so in coming to Hebrews chapter 10, the author is beginning to make a number of conclusions that bring us to what we're going to look at today. And then as we move through the rest of Hebrews, if we were to look at it, uh, most of us are familiar with Hebrews 11 and the hall of faith and, and, and all of the greats of the faith. And then Hebrews chapter 12 begins to tell us to cast off sin, to run the race faithfully, to be willing to receive discipline. And Hebrews 13 tells us about some daily life things. Uh, marriage is to be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure is a, a real straightforward verse there in Hebrews chapter 13. But coming to Hebrews 10, this is a turning point. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to get us now from the concepts of Jesus as prophet and priest and king and sacrifice to what that means in our lives. 
So Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, the author writes this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. So if we read this together, we see that, that the author is making a shift. First, we need to understand that, that so much of the letter here to, in Hebrews, and specifically this passage, we see words like this, we, our, us, one another. That corporate and community and togetherness are at the heart of this letter and, and here in chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, at the heart of these concepts is a togetherness of God's people, a community of God's people, a connectedness of God's people, that we were not saved to simply be alone in our faith, but we were saved that we might come together as his people and gather in a unique way. You know, we, we, we've all been part of clubs. We're, we're part of different things. We go to work. We go to, to, to all kinds of different stuff. And we gather with other people. And we find meaning in those things. But the writer here in Hebrews is trying to help us understand that this gathering together is unique in what it offers to us and in our responsibility to it. And so let's, let's look at these, just, just kind of verse by verse, go through the rest of this and try and understand. So verses 19 and 20, the author of Hebrews writes this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. We see that this is, this is clearly a passage that is bringing us to a point of application. When there is a therefore in scripture or a since, we, we know that the author has concluded a certain aspect of their argument and they are now coming to a point where they want us to apply what they've been teaching. And up to this point, like I mentioned, this, this writer of Hebrews has been describing the Old Testament sacrificial system and how Jesus fulfills it. How Jesus, in fact, is better than anything that ever was in Jerusalem or in the old temple. Now, this is a, a really simple rendition that kind of paints a picture of how first the synagogue, the tent that the children of Israel carried around during the Exodus, and then the temple under Solomon, and then under Ezra, and then under Herod, what it would have looked like very simply on the inside. Now, first of all, out in the courtyard of the temple, there was a courtyard that Gentiles and women, women were allowed to come into. And then there was a, an inner courtyard where Jewish men could come into that would have had the, the, uh, 
the altar and the lava, the great big bathtub of water that was supported by bulls, all of it beautiful bronze and fires burning constantly in the altar and animal sacrifices being offered up to God. And that's all outside of the actual temple building. But inside, there would have been a doorway, and you'd go into one single room. And inside that room, there would have been lampstands, and there would have been the bread of the presence, 12 loaves of bread that represented the 12 tribes of Israel and the presence of God in their midst. And, and, and then once a year, once a year, a priest would have passed through a curtain, a big, heavy curtain from that front room into the back room where the Ark of the Covenant was. And there, on the Ark of the Covenant, blood would be sprinkled on the Ark, the the symbol of the very presence of God, in order to make sacrifice for the sin of the people for that year. And, And all throughout the book of Hebrews, the writer is telling us that Jesus was constantly foreshadowed in this act of sacrifice. And that this temple that we have here on the earth is really just a dim representation of the very presence of God up in heaven. And that Jesus, by his life and death and resurrection, he himself was the sacrifice for sin that entered into the very presence of God. And he sprinkled his own blood on the presence of God to pay for your sin and mine. And not only is the sin paid for, but you see what it says? We have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus. He has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain. The curtain would have been that separation between the the holy room and the holy of holies that we see on the screen where the Ark of the Covenant is. That red squiggle, that's supposed to be the curtain that separates us from the presence of God. The writer here says that Jesus makes it possible by his blood and by his body. Does that hearken to anything that we participate in on a sort of regular basis? The Lord's Supper and the body and the blood of Jesus. And it reminds us of our our ability to access the very presence of the Father. That by his blood and by his body, he's made a way for us to enter the very presence of God. The curtain is gone and Jesus is the doorway into relationship with God then the writer goes on to say this and since we have a great high priest over the house of God now what was the the significance of a high priest the high priest is the one that once a year would enter into that special room in the temple and offer a blood sacrifice on the ark of the covenant For the sins of the people. And Jesus now. He is our high priest. He is the one who offered the sacrifice on our behalf. So he is both sacrifice and the priest who presents it. Which is just amazing. The priest himself is the one who died for our sins. And then enters into the presence of the father in heaven. And says father. Here is my life given for all who would believe on me. He is the priest. He didn't go into the temple in Jerusalem and offer his blood. Instead, he went into the very presence of the Father in heaven, which the temple in Jerusalem represented, and offered himself for you and I. 
He is both the sacrifice for sin and the priest who presents it. And then the beautiful thing is Jesus walks into the presence of the Father as sacrifice and priest. And then he turns around to us and says, come on in, guys. I mean, just how exciting is this? To realize that we are a people who are called by God not to just come and, and, you know, be a little bit better and do some moral things and and sing a few songs kind of amazing grace. But, But we are now invited into the presence of the holy God together. And we're called to come and gather together in his presence by the blood and the body and the priesthood of Jesus Christ. This is what we've got, Christians. This is what we've been invited into. This is what is so exciting about our faith. And so in these first three verses, the writer is saying to us, the body and blood of Jesus have given us access to the presence of God through Jesus, our high priest. How cool is that? We were talking about Islam in my Sunday school class this morning. Islam, to be a good Muslim, you have to follow the five pillars of Islam and you need to do it nearly perfectly, if not perfectly, in order to enter into paradise. And even then you will not be in the presence of Allah. You will instead just be in a nice place for the rest of eternity. Christianity says something completely different. You're not good enough. You can't do it on your own. And yet, God loved you so much that he paid the price for you by the life, death, and resurrection of his son, his body, and his blood. And he has now invited you not just into a nice place forever, but into his very presence. And how do we respond? Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us there's a very specific way we should respond. In response to this great gift that we have been given, Verse 22, so let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. What are we supposed to do? What's the first thing we're supposed to do in response to this gift that we've been given in Christ Jesus in which he in the very presence of the Father says, come on in. The first thing we're supposed to do is Come on in. Come on into the presence of the Father. Gather together with the people of God because the price has been paid for you. Come into the presence of the Almighty because the price has been paid for you. Our memory verse this last week, uh, uh, saying trustworthy trustworthy and full of being fully accepted. Man, I'm not even remember it. Worthy of full acceptance. There we go. Christ Jesus came to, uh, to, to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And some of us, we get stuck up on the worst. But we have to understand, he came to save us and to call us into fellowship with himself, with the Father, and with one another. And so, let us draw near. Not, hey, you, spend some quiet time and be sure to worship God with your favorite third day album. No. Let us as a community draw near to God together. 
with a, a true heart in full assurance of faith that we know that we know that we know that we're saved because we know the price is paid and we know he loves us and we know when we actually respond we get to see and hear and experience him full assurance of our faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience our hearts made pure by the blood of Jesus Christ as we confess our sins to him and to one another and our bodies washed in pure water a beautiful picture of what the second of the ordinances that we participate in is, as Baptists baptism by the way if you have called on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and never been baptized it's a good time right now well, it'd take about 20 minutes to get enough water. But, but next week, you could be baptized and, and make that first move of proclaiming your faith in Jesus Christ and walking in obedience to the call to baptism, letting your friends, your family, everyone around you know, I'm his and he is mine. And we look at all of this, this, this drawing near. It's us. It's our. It's our it's communal. It is connectedness. That the first thing that we are called to do here in response to the salvation that comes only in Christ Jesus and the privilege of coming into the presence of the Father by his body and his blood and his priestly duty, let us worship together. To worship. Now, I, I'm, as a young pastor, youth pastor i made the mistake of getting really critical of people during the music i used to be like they don't even raise their hands they're not worshiping you notice me i don't raise my hands much anymore uh, it's not because i can't it's just because i'm i'm a little more reserved as i've aged but but the thing is is i understand it's not your position hands raised hands down it's it's are you really worshiping are you really trying to, seeking to glorify God as we gather together? I, I, I'll ask you an honest question. Why are you here today? Is it because you had to volunteer for something and it, it's your Sunday and you had to fill the slot? Is it out of guilt or shame? Is it out of duty? Well, I have to go to church because I don't want to burn in hell. <laughs> Is this your mindset? Because really, we're called to this gathering we're called to come into the presence of God together to glorify his name, to lift him up, to sing his praises, to get excited again about our faith. And, and we have this, this mindset in the modern American church that it is the music that helps us to worship. And I'm going to tell you, look, ignore the music and worship. You, you could go, I don't like the style. Tough. Worship. Well, that song bothers me. Suck it up. Worship. Well, it's too loud. Worship. It's too quiet. Worship. It's not long enough. Worship. If you're worried about all these other things, I, got, I guarantee for you, you're not worshiping. And the music is just supposed to be a tool that helps you drown out everything else. And spend some moments glorifying God. Giving him his due. That's what worship means. To ascribe worth unto. And so it is to look at God and say you are worthy of 
everything. And these 15 minutes worth of songs aren't even enough to begin to genuinely worship you. But at, at least I'm giving you that much right now. I'm trying, Lord. And it's a corporate thing. It's together. Worship in your car is good. Worship amongst the people of God is what we're designed for. It's what we're saved for. It's what gives us the things that are coming in the following verses. Verse 23, first let us draw near, then let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. What we can see here is as we gather together, we hold on to the promises of God. We hold on to the confession of our hope. Together we say, Jesus is Lord. He's king of our lives. He gives us what we need. We, 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 we know that our daily bread will be given. We know that he will keep us from evil. We know that he will forgive us as we forgive those around us. We know these things because his promises are true and he is faithful and we confess this to one another and we tell each other stories about how the week was terrible but God was still good. So let us come together and hold on to the confession of our hope because he is faithful and will meet our needs. So the, the, the next thing, let us have our needs met by the loving and faithful Savior who invites us into his presence so that we can stand firm. And if you're anything like me, Sunday afternoon, standing firm, it gets a little harder. Monday morning, standing firm in your faith can become nearly impossible. And if you didn't participate in the fellowship of the saints the day before, it's no wonder you feel weak and distant from God because you're not having your needs met in the way that he saved you to have them met. And then next, let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. Let us draw near, let us hold fast, and let us consider one another. We are called as Christians to gather together at the feet of the Most High God by the blood and body and priesthood of a loving Savior that we might be together and thinking about each other. Too often we'll come into a room like this and we will think about only ourselves. Only those closest to us that we like. And let's be honest, we can look around the room and maybe some of us struggle to like others. I've got a list. No, I don't. That's, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. It, and it's okay, right? Nobody's saying we have to be all like, la-di-da-di, life is perfect and pretend. But what we should be doing is walking into the room and considering one another. Gathering together and considering the needs of one another in order to provoke love and good works. 
that our goal of gathering together is to help one another live out this faith that we're called to, to live out this Christian life. The Christian life is simple, but it is not easy. It is not complex. You don't have to be a genius to understand the love of God in Christ Jesus, to receive him as your Lord and Savior, to submit to him as king. It's simple. But every day, it is not easy. And if you are alone in your faith, or you are only loosely connected to the body of believers, you will find yourself struggling Even in the simplicity of Christianity, it will be less easy than it should be, even though it's never easy. Let us give to one another that we might all learn how to give. Let us give of ourselves to one another. We are called together to be at the feet of God together and give ourselves to one another. Now, I know you're all so busy. Some of that is life. And some of that are your own foolish choices. And I'll say that because I make foolish choices with my time and my resources too. I've been taught by my culture to pursue things that are not of Christ. And I willingly follow along from time to time. And you do the same. And they're silly choices. But we are called together to come and to give of ourselves instead of seeking our own good. And as we watch people give of themselves, you know what it does? Inspires us to give and it inspires others who are just learning to give. And so you give of yourself that others might learn how to give. So to sum up this passage, since Jesus is our sacrifice, since Jesus is our high priest, then... Let us worship together. Let us have our needs met together. Let us contribute to one another's growth. Look at what God has done for us. And look at how little he asks of us in some ways. Just get together regularly and love each other and worship together and give of yourself And then the writer says this, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing. Isn't it remarkable? Hebrews was likely written sometime in AD 60s. The church is only about 30 years old at this point, 35, maybe 40. And already Christians are struggling with, I don't really need to get together with other believers. I'm good. (laughs) mentioned in Sunday school this morning, it would be a lot easier to lead a cult than it is to be a pastor of a Bible teaching church. And the reason why a cult says you have to in order to be saved. The gospel says, believe on Christ Jesus and you are saved. And now you should. Should doesn't carry nearly the same weight as have to, does it? And a lot of us hear the should of the gospel and we go, oh, it's optional. It's cool. No worries. But we shouldn't read it that way. We shouldn't hear it that way. 
When we hear the gospel tell us we should, when we hear our Savior, our King, our Master, our Lord, the sacrifice for our sins, the priest who is our high priest representing us in the very presence of the Father, when we hear him say you should, our response should be, I will. Already they're struggling, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching. That word encouraging, it's actually the same root word as paraclete, which is the Holy Spirit, to come alongside one another, to, to be support for one another in the same form and fashion as the Holy Spirit is for each of us individually. To serve that role of equipping and strengthening and encouraging one another even as the Holy Spirit within us gives us strength for the needs of the day. And, and as life gets worse and things are more difficult and things get busier because of the things we're told are important but really aren't, we shouldn't give in to the cries of the world and follow after the things that lead to destruction and disorder in our lives. But the more chaotic life is, the more often we should meet together and the more faithful we should be to this gathering of the saints. All the more as you'd see the day approaching. So our response to all of this is to meet together regularly and all the more as times get harder. The more difficult this life is, the more stretched out you are, the more chaotic things are. It's not time to stop coming to church because it's down the list of priorities. It is time instead to move church up on your list of priorities. And to make it something that is central to your life as a believer, as a response to the love of Christ Jesus for you and the sacrifice he made for you and the invitation that he's giving you to draw near together. Now, you might be asking me, well, what is regularly? Once a month is regularly, right? Okay, you got me. Every Christmas and Easter, I am regularly at church. Hallelujah, good start. Let's look at what happened in the New Testament. What was the standard that the early Christians practiced? Well, first, we, we, we'll, we'll be gentle with ourselves and say they did meet weekly. Acts 20, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2 gives us some uh, implication that they met regularly once a week. First day of the week, which was Sunday, the Lord's Day, when we meet. Do you really want me to bust you up a little bit? The earliest church for the first 20 years or so in Jerusalem met daily. At the temple, in one another's homes, they met daily. They ate together regularly. They prayed daily. They talked about the apostles' teaching on a regular basis. And it also, that, that Acts chapter 2 ends with, and, and there, there were people added to their numbers daily. Why is our church weak? Why are we ineffective as Christians in our culture? Because we have allowed gathering together at the feet of our Savior to be an optional thing. And so we are weak Christians and we have a weak witness and people don't see Jesus or our love for one another the way they should. And once again, I... 
Because of the gospel, I can't tell you you have to do this. I can't say, you're not saved if you're not here all the time. Because that would be a lie and a distortion of scripture. But what I can tell you is what we've already read in Hebrews, right? In light of what God has done for you, why are you giving up on the gathering? Why are you giving up on worshiping together? Why are you giving up on finding strength in the promises of Christ together? Why are you giving up on loving one another and encouraging one another the way that we're supposed to? Why have you given up on that? Because life's hard. It's time to double down and do it even more. Because life's busy, it's time to serve even harder, to give even more. The, to, to help you understand, in AD 100, roughly, we think, there was a, a guidebook written for the early church. It's called the, the, the Didache. And, and it's, it, it says this, On the Lord's own day, gather yourselves together and break bread and give thanks. What was the Lord's day? Sunday. And so the early church, the practice was every Sunday to gather together in worship and thankfulness for what Jesus had done. Now you might say, well, that, that's just a church book, right? Well, let me tell you this, that Pliny, he was a governor in the area of Turkey. He's writing to Emperor Trajan or Trajan. It just depends on how you want to pronounce your, uh, your Latin, right? We're, we're, we're good old uh, English speakers, so we're going to call him Trajan. And, and here's what Pliny said in his letter in about AD 112. They asserted, speaking of Christians, however, that the sum and substance of their fault or error had been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsively a hymn to Christ as to God. So we see right around AD 100, the church is meeting together on a regular basis, once a week, a fixed day of the week, Pliny says, before dawn, some of you, you that just, it wouldn't be a chance, would it? I, I just, I don't see it happening. And yet, here's, here's, here's the common Christian practice is to gather together before the sun even comes up that we might sing together and worship God. Here's, here's really what it, what it all boils down to in so many words, but yet so few. We all need each other. We all need each other and we are called and commanded and reminded to gather together regularly to give of ourselves and worship our God and find encouragement and strength for the week ahead. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, he says this about us. Just as the body is one and has many parts and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. Many of you might be wondering, why do we call it the body of Christ? Why do we call the church the body of Christ? Because that's what scripture calls us. And any of us who understand a body know every part is important. And for any part to suffer or be missing is to make every part suffer. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 and 27, a little later in the very same chapter. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. See, we should understand this very easily, right? Anybody ever just had a hangnail? Just as a simple hangnail, a paper cut. Yeah. Does that not just make you feel miserable? I mean, it just, it just ruins your day. 
Every time you wash your hands, oh, I hope you wash your hands. Every time you wash your hands, it burns. The pickle juice on your sandwich, it burns. The salt from the chips, it burns. It ruins your day. And that's just a paper cut. Some of us, we're taking the body part that we are and we are excising it. We are cutting it off from the rest of the body on a regular basis. And we wonder why the body is suffering. And we wonder why we ourselves as a part of the body are struggling. A challenge for you today, go home, cut your thumb off, throw it on the floor. See see how it does on its own. It will not be two of these. Your thumb, you cut it off, you throw it on the floor. It's not going to get up and walk off and say, hey, thanks for the day. See you later. I'll come back when it feels better. Your hand isn't going to be like, oh, no big deal. We don't need a thumb. This is great. The thumb dies. The hand suffers. And God says, we're the body. We can't cut ourselves off. We die and the body suffers. Some of us might might be familiar. We, We maybe took English in high school. John Don. He wrote a, uh, a poem, no, no Man is an Island. Some of you might be familiar with it. No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less. As well as if a promontory were, as well as any manner of thy friends or of thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind. And therefore, never send to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. His point is, is that just as the beach eroding away degrades the whole of England, the loss of one member of the body, one one person in our lives lessens our lives and lessens us. And, And any person's death any person's absence it diminishes us because we are so intimately connected how much more so in the church where we are knit together by a loving god withdrawing from the body just to put it simply withdrawing it discourages those who remain and diminishes the rest of us as a whole We don't oftentimes have this perspective, but we should biblically. When we keep ourselves from the gathering, we are not just hurting ourselves. We are hurting every other member of the body that is there anticipating our arrival. We are diminishing the church by keeping ourselves from it. Now, Once again, legalism would be so nice to say you have to, to be saved. But what I'm telling you is there's a reason God has called you to be here, to be part of this, to be regular, to be faithful, to gather together. It is to worship. It is to be strengthened. It is to encourage one another. And all the more as life gets harder because each of us needs one another. You receive from the body, but the body receives from you. I'll make an honest confession about something that some of us have experienced, but not everyone. To be up here and help with worship. 
And for the service to be beginning at 1045, and there are five people in the seats, and a visitor walks in, and they're looking for a seat, and I don't see anybody here I think is visiting today. If you are, welcome. Um, but to, to, to see a visitor come in, and they're, they're looking around, and, and do you know what they see when they walk in the back door? And worship is starting, and there's six, seven, eight people in seats. Do you know what they see? A diminished church. A place where no one wants to belong, so why would I want to belong? And it, it really is hurtful. There are, there are Sundays where I'll, I'll be down there and look back and just go, well, maybe today I'll just, we'll, we'll like truncate everything and we'll just be done real quick. Because if nobody else cares, I don't know if I care either. And yet I do. You hear me? I do ultimately. But that, that's a first attitude, right? And so gathering together on, on time, but gathering together at all are really important things for us as believers. Since Jesus is our sacrifice, since Jesus is our high priest, then let us worship together. Let us have our needs met together. Let us contribute to one another's growth. And let us commit to never give up on meeting together regularly. Because a Christian attends church regularly. And, and once again, I'm, I'm going to give you the freedom to define regularly. Understanding what the New Testament standard is. A Christian attends church regularly to worship God, have his spiritual needs met, and to make a contribution to the body of believers. Now, I, I will say, if you're sitting in a chair today, or you're watching online, and you say, yeah, I'd be there more often, I just don't feel like I fit in, or I don't like something, or Michael, you preach too long, or the worship is too short, or whatever, fine, go, go find a church where you can attend every week faithfully. And not because we don't love you, not because we don't want you here, but stop using us as an excuse for your disobedience and your shortcomings. Because that's not fair to us and it's not fair to you and it's not fair to the spirit of God within you. Stop using us as an excuse, but go belong somewhere else wholeheartedly. Do I want every one of you and more here every Sunday belonging completely and loving one another, which we'll talk more about next week, unity? Absolutely. But don't you dare use something you don't like about me as an excuse to not participate in the body of believers on a regular basis. So a couple of conclusions. We talk about attending regularly. If this isn't you, if you don't attend regularly, if you don't meet this, this standard of, of, of living out the Christian life according to scripture, if this isn't you, what are you missing because of your approach toward church? If you are treating church as optional, if you're treating the gathering together as just one more thing on your list, what are you missing out on? Dive into scripture and see. First of all, just look again at, at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. What are you missing out on? Genuine worship. Strength and encouragement and the ability to serve others in love as you're called to. You're already missing out on those things if you're not here regularly. 
Now, look, if you, I understand some of you got rotating schedules. Sundays, it just doesn't work. I don't hear judgment. Instead, be here regularly. Define it as you must. But some of us are making choices to just not. And you're missing out. What are you keeping from others because of your attitude toward the body? Now, the thing is, is when we get saved, we don't get like a body uh, identification card, you know, body part identification card. I don't know what you are. I don't know what I am. I don't know what you classify a pastor teacher as. I'm not the head because Christ is the head. That sometimes I think maybe I'm just like the appendix, you know, somebody could take me out and nobody even know. That's what it feels like. Maybe, but look, we don't, we don't get that. We don't really understand necessarily what we're keeping from others. But if you're not here and you're not faithful and you're not regular and you don't belong wholeheartedly, other people are missing out because of that. If you're not giving of yourself in love and encouragement, others of us are missing out. What are you keeping from others? And then, and then ultimately it comes down to when you hear what God's word has to say, when you hear the standards, the, the, the desires that he has for you to gather together, to be part of the corporate body, what will you change about what you're doing in this life? There might be hard choices that'll be necessary. And I, I, I'm not going to say that it's, it's easy, right? I already said that the Christian life is simple, but it's not easy. The simple thing is come to church every week. Is that easy? No. Does our culture make it easy? Oh, absolutely not. The culture wants to own you on Sunday morning. It wants you anywhere other than in the middle of believers worshiping God. What might you change? If you say, well, I'm here every week and I'm, I'm, I belong. Okay, excellent. Or I'm here as often as I can be. Excellent. I'm so proud. But there's still room for all of us to grow. What areas of gathering, worship, personal growth, serving others, do you need to grow in the most? Do you just stand there and mouth the words because they're on the screen? You need to start working at glorifying God genuinely. You, you know what I have to do sometimes? And this isn't our worship team most of the time. But if I don't like a song... Do you know what I won't do? Sing it. Do you know what I will do? Close my eyes and pray. Why? Because I'm here to worship. And if the song doesn't click for me, I'm still going to worship. And if the song is something I'm still learning, I'm still going to sing it as loud as I can. I don't know if, can, can you guys hear me over here? A little. I, I hear you. And, and that's a good thing. I'm not complaining. I'm a big mouth. Oh, me too, brother. I don't, need no, I don't need no stinking microphone. Um, but, but sing out if you're going to sing. Mean it. Give God the worth. Uh, your personal growth. Are, are, are you dedicated to growing personally? How about serving others? Some of you guys, you're worshiping. You are growing personally, but you still haven't lifted a finger to genuinely serve others in the church. And, and please don't hear condemnation. But here, you're missing out, and we're missing out because you haven't. If you are not using your gifts, your talents, whatever you can do in some way or another to serve the church, we're missing out, and you're missing out. So you're here every time, or you're here as regular as you can be. Thank you. What area do you need to grow in? And then secondly, how can you encourage the missing members to connect? 
the ones who, who are struggling to be faithful, the, sto- the ones who are, are irregular, the, the creasters. So, you know, how, how do we, Christmas and Easter, how do, we, how do we help them? How do we encourage them? Because I want you to hear something about this. Their absence is not just detrimental to them. It's detrimental to us. All of us are less because members of this church, people who belong here, are not faithful, don't come regularly. Not that they don't want to be or that they aren't good Christians. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying they're missing out and we're missing out because they're not here. And we need to encourage them and call them and lovingly confront them. So as we wrap up this morning, you ask yourself those questions. What needs to change? What, what, what attitude needs to change? What, what do I need to grow in? Remember that a Christian attends church regularly to worship God have his spiritual needs met and to make a contribution to the body of believers. We've moved from your personal walk with Christ to we are called to walk together. What will you do about that? How might you behave differently? What choices might might you make in the coming weeks and months and year? regarding your Sunday schedule and what life will look like. Worship team, would you come up as we close in prayer? Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you have called us. I look around the room and for the most part, I see those that I earnestly believe to be sons and daughters adopted in through the blood and body of your son, Jesus, our high priest. And so I know that they want to serve you and I know that they want to please you and I know that they want to walk in obedience to your word. And so we pray this morning that we would be able to encourage one another to gather all the more as this world gets crazier and crazier. As persecution becomes a reality, as financial difficulties come, that we, instead of giving up and, and, and saying, well, church can be put to the back burner and and it's an optional thing that we would double down and make it a priority in our lives help us as we walk in this door in response to what you've done for us lord jesus this invitation to come into the presence of god the father help us to respond by worshiping wholeheartedly help us to respond by being filled up in faith trusting in your promises And help us to respond by loving one another and encouraging one another to good works by doing good works for one another and serving one another as we enter into your presence together. Convict us where we need conviction. Comfort us where we need forgiveness. But above all else, may we walk in greater faithfulness to your word, Lord. May we be the Christians living the life that you died and rose again to save us for. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and close with our last song.